we were not aware in a way the damage we were doing to environment. In the same way, we have polluted the oceans. When we started with the plastic, nobody was predicting where we would go. So we all thought in the same way. Space is infinite. We can abandon our satellite in space at the end of life. The awareness of the problem started with the study done by a scientist named Kessler, which started to say, be careful, there are some orbits which are extremely polluted. Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In today's episode, even though we're in the month that is known for celebrating Earth Day, we're actually going to be focusing on space. Sadly, this doesn't mean that I was sent by Restart into space to conduct interviews there. I didn't go any further than my desk, where I spoke to Luisa from the European Space Agency. In today's episode, we'll be thinking about how e-waste doesn't just exist on Earth. It also exists in orbit. It wasn't just ourselves that we took beyond our planet. It was also our waste. We've created so much waste up there or around there that it's really hard to keep track of. And a lot of that waste is generated by the tools and technology that we use on Earth. We tend to think of Earth and space as very separate from each other. But when we go into space, we are going for earthly reasons. Technology that orbits our planet is essential to what happens in our lives and in our pockets. My name is uh, Luisa Innocenti. I work at the European Space Agency and uh, presently I am the head of the Clean Space Initiative. The Clean Space Initiative was started in 2012 to study and minimize the environmental impact of space activities, both on ground and in space. And uh, how does clean space fit into the ESA's overall mission? And maybe say what the ESA is as well. ESA, the European Space Agency is an intergovernmental European organization. We have 22 member states from Europe. We are independent from the European Commission. We have celebrated 50 years of life. We are studying space activities. We are the organization where all the European astronauts belong to. Tim Peak, for example, is an astronaut of the European Space Agency. We are the organization, for example, which launched the Rosetta mission, which landed on a comet. Speaking of the Rosetta, some of you will remember this from a couple of years back. Listening to this audio is kind of like listening to the end of life of the Rosetta technology, the moment when the signal was lost. At the expected time, this is another outstanding performance from Flight Dynamics. So we'll be listening for the signal from Rosetta for another 24 hours, but we don't expect any. And so um, this is the end of the Rosetta mission. Thank you and goodbye. And we also have all the technology and research activity which are at the basis of any space 
activity. Now, how does clean space fit into this? As I said, ESA is a European organization, public organization, research-oriented. In this frame, clean space fits particularly well because clean space is doing research to decrease the environmental impact of space activities. And I always say that environment and protection of environment is a very European value that we all Europeans share. It's normal, I would say almost, that clean space is part of it. And actually, it happened in this way. Our former director general sent out to all staff members a request of uh, new ideas for the last four years of his mandate. He called it Agenda 2015. And we replied saying we need to do something concerning decreasing environmental impacts of space activities. And we called this initiative Clean Space and he immediately took it on board. What is space debris? Space debris is an object which is in space and which is not controlled, which basically means that a space debris is any object from a few millimeters to an entire dead satellite, an entire dead upper stage. All of them are space debris. Those are objects that you cannot control. And how much is out there and what risks does space debris pose? There are at the moment more than 29,000 objects bigger than 10 centimeters we cannot observe objects smaller than a few centimeters and uh, we only have estimation of the number which can go as high as millions. Objects bigger than 10 centimeters, we can monitor them from ground. Therefore, we know where they are and we can issue alerts to the operational satellite. Basically, what we tell to an operator is be careful, you have a space debris coming your way and therefore the satellite can do what is called a collision avoidance maneuver meaning he moves away. Objects between 1 and 10 centimeters are the ones which are at the moment the problem because they are potentially very dangerous and we cannot monitor. And who's responsible for space debris? Basically, whoever launched is responsible because what happened in the past globally, worldwide, is that we tended to abandon our object in space. We have all done the same. So from this point of view, the countries which launched the most, Russia and America, have created more space debris. Then there is the Chinese because the Chinese did a test in space which created a cloud of debris and therefore they are, if you want, owners of a large number of debris. But even Europe has a few debris because we have as well abandoned the satellite. We were not aware in a way the damage we were doing to environment. In the same way, we have polluted the oceans if you want. When we started with the plastic, nobody was predicting where we would go, if you want, predict the situation as it is. So we all thought in the same way. Okay, and the space is infinite. We can abandon our satellite in space at the end of life. The awareness of the problem started to come some 30 years ago, I think, with the study done by a scientist named Kessler, which started to say, be careful, there are some orbits which are extremely polluted. And what is the dangers for this orbit is that if your satellite is operational, you can move away. But what if two debris collide? You cannot stop it, this collision. And if two debris collides, they will create a cloud of debris, which in their turn would hit other debris or satellite. It's a little bit like the beginning of the gravity moving, which you see that from one second to the other, everything is exploding. Now, the time situation is not the same, but if some orbits are overpopulated, 
populated by debris, this is the risk that we are running. Are there three solutions or branches that Clean Space is working on to tackle the issue of space debris? Clean Space is divided into three parts. Actually, only two look at debris. The first part, we call it eco-design, and it's trying to minimize the impact of space activity on Earth up to the atmosphere. As space, we do produce very little, and therefore, in a way, we pollute little. But having said that, we do believe that everybody should contribute into decreasing the environmental pollution, if you want, environmental impact. So as space as well, we are trying in some case to innovate and bring in some technology which are green, which are less toxic, which use less energy, which we can recycle better. This is the part that we call eco-design. Then there are two parts, which are what we call CleanSat and active debris removal. CleanSat is this idea of, okay, we have polluted the space in the past, we have polluted some orbits which are now defined as protected zone by the way internationally so we have polluted those orbits by abandoning our satellite up there we should not continue to do so in the future therefore we need to implement proper end-of-life maneuvers, if you want. And we need to develop the technology so that these end-of-life maneuvers are done in a regular way. So this is one side of what we do. And the other side is, okay, we have polluted the space, we might need to clean it. Cleaning means to take away some of the debris which are already up there. Now, in this case, what are the debris that we need to remove are the big objects in the most polluted orbits. Why? Because those are the ones which have the highest risk to be hit by a debris and which will create a bigger number of debris. So those are the very dangerous objects and we should try to remove them. And this is a mission which is extremely challenging from a technology point of view and which has never been done. To help us to think about this technology travelling from Earth to space, here's some audio from a satellite being launched. to my request, quoting your call sign, followed by go or no go. Some. Some go. AOCS. AOCS, go. Spec on one. Spec on one, go. Spec on two, analyst. Spec on two, analyst, go. Data handling. That ending go. Power thermal. Power thermal go. Project rep. Project rep go. Project support. Project support go. Software coordinator. Software coordinator go. Software support. Software support go. OM. OM go. S track. S track go. Fly dynamics. Fly dynamics go. Comms. Comms go. Maintenance. Maintenance go. Computer. Computer go. Scheduling. Scheduling go. This is the end of the final Sentinel 2A roll call. All mission control teams are green. We are ready to go for a launch of Sentinel 2A. You've already spoken a little bit about obsolescence and uh, trying to plan for obsolescence and end of life. Could you say a little bit more about that 
and uh, maybe give some examples? Today, we launch satellites which have a lifetime, depending on the possible application, between 5 and 15 years. We qualify each single part to know that it will have a lifetime of, as a minimum, 5, 10 or 15 years. And then we assemble it all before launching a satellite. There is a lot of testing when you are in space. First of all, you cannot change a piece if it doesn't work. So you need to be sure that it will work. Second, the temperature are extremely varying. You try to keep it controlled, but still you need to test that your pieces will survive the thermal. It will survive the vacuum and it will survive the heavy radiation that you have outside the atmosphere. So we test all the components. And actually what happens that usually satellites live much longer. They continue to live until one day they fail. And actually, this is a very interesting philosophical problem, which is this. We send satellites in space because they have a use. Could be scientific, weather broadcast, navigation, television. So there could be scientific use, there could be commercial use, or even military use. Now, you have a satellite that you have tested for and qualified the way we use it. It's qualified for five years. It is up there and it is still working. What do you do? You continue to use it. It's normal. You continue to use one year, two years, three years, and then at a certain moment, up, it fails. And if it fails, you cannot do what I told you before, the proper management of the end of life. You cannot deorbit it and you cannot passivate it. So actually, it's going to be extremely difficult to implement the story of cleaning up, not abandoning the satellite in the future in space, because in reality it means that you will have to kill your satellite before it fails. And we never know when the satellites are failing. How dependent are we in our day-to-day lives on space technology? We do not realize how much we are dependent on space technology. By now, we are used to go around uh, using the the GPS. And now uh, some of the new phones have Galileo chips in the phones, which is uh, much more accurate, actually. We do not realize that in order to have it, you need space. Same story, weather forecast. Same story, crisis management, alerts. Same story, watching the football world championship around the globe. All of this is embedded in our daily life to a point that we don't even realize it anymore. Thanks so much for giving us your time. And it's been brilliant to talk to you about cleaning up space this morning. I'm always very happy to describe what we are doing because on one side, it is our dream to contribute to a decrease of environmental impact. And second, space is fascinating for everybody. Sometimes we tend to forget it because it's our daily life and we tend to forget how much space makes people dream. The audio that you can hear behind me reminds us of the beauty and fascination and wonder that space contains. It's the sound of a singing comet. As Louisa said, space is the stuff of dreams. If we're going to continue to dream about space, it would be great if we could dream of a clean space. A space where we try to avoid repeating the same errors we made on Earth. And to make that dream a reality, clearly we have to start thinking about space in a different way. 
again, it's similar to thinking about the sea or the rainforests or the deserts. There's always been ramifications from our dreams of exploration and development. We need to put responsibility and reality into these dreams to stop them harming the earth and the universe that we are a part of. And it's not just the dreamers, it's everybody. We earthbound people continue to benefit from innovations that happened because people wanted to touch the stars. And those innovations have made their way into our pockets and our homes. So much of our technology was developed to navigate these complex conditions. And as we've heard, so much of our technology now relies on things orbiting around our planet. So whether you think about or care about space or not, you are connected. And if we want to continue to benefit from this complex system that has grown up around our Earth, we're all going to need to think about and find ways to help to solve the issue of space debris. And thanks to Isa for the extra audio that you've heard in this episode. Sounds that were captured in space, but were brought down to Earth. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. Big thanks to Restart's communications assistant, Isabel, who did the research and planning for this episode. It's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.